Welcome to the Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast. I'm John Hulsman, here to catch you up on all that's going on in our beguiling, fascinating world for the last week. One of the things I really like about my job is the thing that makes many people uncomfortable. Uh, when I say political risk is an art and not just a science, that somehow means it has diminished rigor and diminished way to help human beings, and I think exactly the opposite. Those of us who are aware that feel, touch, instinct are part of what we do, that there is an artistic sensibility to writing, to analyzing, to thinking, and to making intuitive links aren't making less of what we do, we're making more of what we do. And an example of this, for those of you who are Americans and those of you who are not, bear with me, think of baseball. I used to play center field on our little local baseball team. And to be a good center fielder, which I assuredly was not, I was merely adequate at best, uh, to be a good one, you have to go with the crack of the bat. You don't think, you follow the sound of the bat and the trajectory of the ball instinctively getting a jump on it so that you can catch it and make outs where none should be made at all. And that's very similar to political risk. You're almost never really surprised if you do the deep dive I do every day to think about the world. Things are popping up, bubbling up. Some of them happen, some of them don't, but you're not surprised when they do bubble up. And I'm going to give you an example of three of them that are bubbling up at the moment in Italy, France, and Germany, respectively, in Europe. I want to make it clear these are not predictions. Certainly, these three things will not all come to pass, but certainly one of them will, and none of them would surprise me. And it's the none of them surprising me part that makes a good political risk analyst into a great one. It's very simple. Do you follow the crack of the bat? And at the moment in, in Europe, there are three cracks of the bat centered around Georgia Maloney in Italy, leader of the far-right Brothers of Italy Party, Valerie Pécresse, leader of the Gaullist Party in France, and Friedrich Merz, the newly appointed leader of the center-right Christian Democratic Union in Germany. And these are three examples of possibilities for the future that if they bubble up will not surprise me because I'm following the crack of the bat. My artistic sensibility has been interested in all three. And let me make you the argument for why these three people, who many, many of you probably haven't heard of and certainly haven't thought of in depth, may actually matter a great deal in the next year or two ahead. Well, let's start in Italy. Only Italy, with its genius for confusion and complexity, when frankly elegant simplicity would do, would set up a presidential system that is as convoluted as the one they're about to start with on January 24th to elect their new president for a seven-year term. They have a thousand electors who vote for this guy or woman. It's been a man so far, which is a bit like the College of Cardinals. It's secretive, Byzantine, all kinds of unsavory favors are traded back and forth, and the electorate is made up of MPs, senators, and various local dignitaries, which is as vague a term as I can imagine. And for the first three rounds of voting for president, you have to win um, a two-thirds majority, which almost never happens. And then in the fourth round, an absolute majority, and they keep voting like the College of Cardinals for Pope until through this ridiculously Byzantine process, somebody emerges. And at the moment, there are two main candidates to be president. Mario Draghi, the competent technocrat who has run Italy in a very anti-democratic fashion, but has managed to bring home the bacon. Draghi, because he's respected as the former head of the European 
central bank went to Europe, demanded cash payments from the European fund, pandemic fund, and came back with about 230 billion euro, which is the lion's share of the money Europe has put forward for dealing with its post-COVID economic malaise. So Italy gets one last best chance with this huge injection of European money to remake its society to be fit for purpose in the new era. And to give you an idea of how badly Italy has been doing, until recently, Italy under the euro has done worse 20 years on than it did when it joined the euro. So it is a lost generation of no productivity, no growth, utter sclerosis. Draghi brings home the bacon from Europe as a respected technocrat that he won't waste the money, the great fear of northerners, and he comes home with the money and he has stabilized the Italian system. Or has he? Because Draghi has done nothing to structurally reform Italian politics. Political risk is based on Draghi, who's in his 70s, making it to work every day. Beneath him, the same guys, the same clowns, and the same clown cars are driving around. And so there's been no reform. This injection of cash, if it isn't spent well, will be gone through in three or four years, and Italy will be right back to where it started, this time in perpetual decline, because no one will give it another Copac in the north if it wastes this money. Draghi, having gone through this process, which he hasn't enjoyed much as an unelected technocrat, now wants to get out and become president. Opposing him is Silvio Berlusconi. Yes, the same Berlusconi. This guy is a vampire who, well into his 80s, simply will not go away, who also wants to be president. Normally, the president of the Italian Republic has very limited powers. It's a ceremonial role. It's a role to go negotiate in Europe but a very limited amount of power. But in a weak system like the Italian Republic is, they have one fundamental role. They get to decide how governments are formed, who gets to form governments. And in the fractured and fragmented Italian political system, this amounts to a heck of a lot of power. In a weak system, then, the president has real power to appoint prime ministers and to try to cobble together majorities. And this is what, ideally, Draghi would like to do. But Berlusconi, who has the support of the right in Italy, which is ascendant in the polls at the moment, says no way that if Draghi becomes president, Forza Italia, Berlusconi's center-right party, will leave the Italian coalition, thereby perpetuating an election, which is the last thing Draghi wants. What he wants is to become president and in his usual unelected technocratic, does this sound like the EU, manner, appoint someone to the prime ministership Keep that government together until elections in 2023. And so Berlusconi says, if you become president, I'm going to pull down the House of Cards. You're going to go to elections, which the right will win. And that is certainly not what Mario Draghi wants. So whether the election is soon, if, if, if Berlusconi goes through with his threat, and of course, all is to play for in the College of Cardinals, a third person could win whose name that we don't know. But beneath this all is Berlusconi's legitimate threat. And the reason the threat works is that the right in Italy is in the ascendant. This leads me to the first of our three names, Georgia Maloney, the, leaders of the leader of the far right Brothers of Italy party. Maloney is the head of the only party that has stayed out of Draghi's wide-ranging coalition. 
In doing so, she has been able to criticize the government alone, singly, and confidently. So every time there's a media outlet, you have a government official and then someone from Maloney's party. This has given her huge amounts of media airtime. She comes across as articulate. She comes across as not crazy, not some throwback as our summoner party to the Mussolini era, to the very unsavory fascist past. And she's trying to eradicate this in her movement to limited effect. She has modernized the party, but there's still lots of old boys who the other day in Naples allowed for the fascist salute. So the party has not been completely detoxified, but she's made inroads there and she comes across as sensible. She talks about the failure of the government's COVID policies, which are legion. And she talks very stirringly about parliament's rights and citizens' rights being abrogated by the government, the technocratic government of Draghi. And this has led to her leading or coming a close second to the PD, which is the center-left party in the polls. But when you add in all the votes, the right would have a majority. More importantly, Maloney has managed to convince Matteo Salvini, long the darling of the far right in Italy, that whichever of their two parties gets the most votes, that person will be supported by both parties to be prime minister. This is the crucial point, that Maloney and Salvini have a deal that whoever does best in the next election, be it now after the presidential fracas of January, or be it in 2023 when the parliament's course runs out, the, the far-right party that does the best will get the votes of both parties. And this multiplier effect ought to be enough to put Georgia Maloney, currently ahead of Salvini, into the prime minister's position within the next just couple of years. So watch out. As all my antenna are up, my creative juices are flowing, watch for Georgia Maloney to matter more and more and more as an upset special, as one of a series of possibilities that may very well bubble up in the next couple of years in Italy as a far-right party under her becomes head of the government, which would be a gigantic shift. This is certainly a possibility that is the way the wind is blowing in Europe. Secondly, Valerie Pacres of the Gaullist Party upset a series of three or four other men who were challenging her um, for the leadership of the Gaullist Party for their presidential candidate. Pacres is the leader of the Paris Regional Council from the Tony District of Versailles, um, who's been overshadowed, who is dutifully a competent cabinet minister in the Sarkozy government, and then has gone on to run the Paris Regional Council. Um, she is steady, sensible, policy-oriented. In other words, she's uh, Emmanuel Macron with a party behind her as opposed to a faction. And worst-case scenario for Macron as the French presidential race begins, this is precisely the reason that Becresse makes our upset special list as well, because she could beat uh, Macron. And she's the one he's worried about, as we've said before on these podcasts, rightly so, because the Gaullist party goes back to the founding of the French Fifth Republic in 1958. This is the governing party of France started by Charles de Gaulle himself. And Pécresse can bring to it the fact that the party has an organization, it has volunteers, it has money, it has institutions throughout the country that can get out the vote. It isn't just another faction. And this makes Pécresse unique. In the last series of polls for the first round of the French vote, and remember, the French system for president is only slightly less complicated than the Italian presidential voting system. It's incredibly Byzantine. The way the voting works is that the top two candidates from the first round of voting then have a second round runoff a couple weeks later where the majority winner wins, simply put, and then that is the outcome. 
But that first round of voting, then the, the numbers get very tight as there are a whole bunch of candidates. At the moment, there are four candidates all polling over um, 10%, uh, all of whom have a shot. But let's have a look at them according to Politico's last poll of polls. Uh, Macron's at about 25%, clearly the front leader. Uh, then Marine Le Pen uh, of the far right, her faction, um, has her polling at about 17%. Pecresse is about 16%. And Eric Zemmour, who is a talk show superstar, also on the far right, is polling at about 13%. So at the moment, it's Macron in the second round versus either Le Pen, Pecresse, or Zemmour. Why is it that Macron is afraid of Pecresse and not the other two? Two basic reasons. One, she has a party behind her, unlike Le Pen and Zemmour, who are simply faction leaders, who are personality leaders. There is no party. There is no institution. There is no structure behind them. It's just them, similar to Macron, whereas Pecresse has the old Gaullist party machinery whirring at last efficiently in line behind her. And secondly, she's not of the far right. She's not an extremist candidate of the far right or the far left. By the way, the next candidate down the list, Mr. Melanchon of the far left, has about 9% of the vote. But Pecresse is a moderate who will be stealing votes from Macron because she is in the center right, which is where Macron has drifted to. They are vying for the same votes. And she, he can't say she's a nut because she's not. She's actually served in the cabinet under Sarkozy. She's worked her way through the Gaullist party and has been successful. She is an obviously mainstream, moderate, acceptable candidate. So Macron can't win the runoff just saying, you have to vote for me, or democracy is imperiled, which has always been the argument about the Le Pens. If you vote for a far-right candidate, France might leave the euro. France will be destabilized fundamentally. The republic itself will be in danger. If you have one look at Pecresse, very well put together in some moderate, chic outfit, saying moderate, chic things... You simply can't say that. And so Pecresse cannot be wished away or demonized in a second round. And so I would argue she is well worth watching because if she can make it through to the second round, and again, she's only a point behind Le Pen in the poll of polls with a whole lot of time to go and a lot of mistakes for Le Pen to make, and also with Zemmour and Le Pen fighting each other for the same far-right votes, thereby hurting both their chances Pecresse could slip through to the second round. She can give Macron a real run for his money. So along with Georgia Maloney of Italy, do look for an upset special that Valerie Pecresse of France could become president of France in the near term. And again, everyone else will be surprised except you and me. The third upset special to look at in terms of the way the wind is blowing in Europe has been another very little reported event, which is the advent of Friedrich Merz. Uh, a millionaire businessman lawyer to become head of the center-right and long-governing Christian Democratic Union, the CDU party in Germany. And this is Merz's third effort to try to become head of the CDU. I know Merz a little bit because I've done speeches for his NGO, the Atlantic Brucke, which is a high-level elite group of German-Americans that meets together to try to further German-American ties when I lived in Berlin, I spoke for them a number of times and have good and close relationships and have had a number of conversations with Merits, though we're not, you know, drinking in the same bar at the end of the day. We are friendly, if not friends. And I would say that Merits um, finally has gotten the better of his nemesis, Angela Merkel, because what the German election showed 
was that no amount of meat puppets put in by Merkel to run things. And she tried twice to defeat him and use the party machinery to see that Merz, her long-term ideological rival, did not become head of the party. Instead, she put in Annegret Kramp, I can't even say her name, Annegret Kramp Karenbauer, AKK as she was known, who f flamed out spectacularly. And once Kramp Karenbauer left, she then put in an even more hapless candidate, Armin Lachey, who saw, since he took power in the CDU, saw CDU numbers plummet from 36% when he came to power down to 24% for the September election, the worst CDU showing in its history. He was hapless, boring, colorless, arrogant, entitled. And my favorite Lachey story, and I'm not making this up, was that when he attended the funeral for a number of German victims of the flooding they had, he was caught on tape laughing during the funeral and talking to everyone, joking around. I couldn't possibly make this up. Any spin doctor might let him know that this looks callous and entitled at best and psychopathic at worst. Of course, the German people with the mask off saw this, his numbers plummeted, and the CDU had a surprise defeat in the election. But more importantly was what Merit signals vis-a-vis -vis Merkel. They have disliked each other for good ideological reasons, that, that Merkel's entire uh, Premiership was about moving the CDU to the center, having it have no differences really with the SPD, the center-left party, obscuring everything that it was. Instead of being a free market party, it just became another corporatist party. Merkel lowered the retirement age, added entitlements, the women's benefit added this, lowered the retirement age to 63, um, and Merits in typical fashion said, where's the money coming from for this corporatist move? But she got rid of any differences with the left by moving left. At the same time, on foreign policy, she did away with Germany's long-term pro-NATO, pro-American, pro-Atlanticist ties, and instead opted for a corporatist, pro-business neutralism. Export-driven Germany's number one trading partner by far now is China, and where it gets its gas from under Nord Stream 1 is Russia. And rather than wean itself off of the gas, as Merit said, instead Merkel doubles down, ignores everyone in Europe, in France, in the United States, in the UK, and says, no, we want more gas from our friends Vladimir Putin, which leaves the United States in the ridiculous position of defending Germany, who spends no money on NATO defense to speak of, of defending Germany from the Russians, while the Germans cut gas deals with, you guessed it, the Russians. And so Germany has moved Europe from an Atlanticist position to a mess because of its neutralism, because it's tied itself to revisionist powers, China through trade and energy, it's tied itself to Russia. Meritz is an old-fashioned Atlanticist who says that Nord Stream 2 should be suspended, and uh, this was after the poisoning of Navalny, the Russian opposition leader, and that there should be a European-wide effort to wean Europe off of Russian gas so it was not dependent on it. He's much more of a straightforward Atlanticist who says China is a threat and Europe should recognize this. And so they have gigantic differences of opinion. And Meritz's win is the final blow for Merkelism that there should be no distance between the parties, that Germany, in effect, doesn't have a center-right party, but a whole bunch of centrist, neutralist parties in a hodgepodge of intellectual gobbledygook. And Meritz is saying, no, we're going back to first principles. Let's get back, to quote the Beatles. Let's get back and be a center-right, free-market party. Meritz is hoping to steal votes from the center-right, free-democratic party, uh, because of his economic liberalism, classic liberalism, and 
to steal votes from the far-right AFDP because of his social conservatism, and then re re rebooting the CDU as a center-right party and getting rid of the Miracleist taint, which in his mind has cost them the election with Lachey being the poster boy for absolute nothingness. Merits has stopped the bleeding already. The CDU's numbers have gone up from 24% to about 26%. That's the first duty of anybody in opposition. Stop the bleeding that led you to be in opposition in the first place. He has this coherent, different position. Merits is quite articulate in putting this forward and unapologetic about doing so. And now he will sit there for a number of years while this really strange German coalition of the center-right Free Democratic Party, the FDP, the center-left Greens, and the center-left Day try to get anything done when we couldn't get three of them to agree on an ice cream flavor. They're now going to try to get something done. If this coalition founders, Merits will be there coherently to pick up the pieces and bring the long-running CDU back to its traditional position of ruling. So in all these cases, and of course all three of these things won't happen, I'm not saying that, but as an artist, as a political risk artist, looking at things instinctively, certainly one of these three things will happen, and it will not surprise anyone if Georgia Maloney Val runs Italy, Valerie Pécresse runs France, or Friedrich Merz in the medium run runs Germany. Keep your eye on these three as time goes on, because at least one of them, if not more, will matter. And that's how to do political risk well. Be artistic about it. Follow your hunches. Make an argument for why the people you think might matter will matter. And then when that happens, be that rarest of things compared to my competitors. Be unsurprised. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoy this Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast. I as ever enjoyed doing it. For those of you who haven't subscribed, please do. Uh, so many of you have. And again, we've decided at a firm level to devote more and more of our time this year to Substack as we're overwhelmed by our response here. Thank you for that and for making us a part of your day. I love our community. I love talking directly to you with no filters such as editors censoring us in between. It is a revelation to have the free speech to tell you how the world really works, and I love it. So please do subscribe. And for those of you who've subscribed, again, I'm about to make the famous second pot of coffee, the espresso here, for the price of half of one of my espresso breakfasts or $7 a month, $70 a year, $7 a month, please do give because Substack is based on the honor system. And if you think we're worth half of a Starbucks a month, $70 a year, $7 a month, for $70 a year, we will keep them coming and explain the fascinating world we find ourselves in. On to the next. I'm off for the coffee.